Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right. Well, with uh, a little technical difficulties here and trying to figure out how to do this and uh, tweet all at the same time, you guys are coming on the journey uh, with us here for my first Weekly Twitter spaces. Let's call it a preseason game here. Let me get out the kinks. Don't give out red cards and uh, maybe keep your expectations low. I'm a good friend, Matt Doyle here, as you all know, as the armchair analyst, does everything uh, linearly across MLSsoccer.com, social media, videos, words, tweets, all that good stuff. Matt, thank you for joining me. Um, you know, first off, what are, what are your expectations going into this and, and what do you hope to get out of it? Uh, wow, that, that's a big question. <laughs> like, I... My expectations with you are always pretty low um, to Good. begin with, but I, I found that over the course of many, many years and many, many failures, you tend to grow into the role. Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping to, uh, you know, to push this thing along and, and uh, get the Tom train rolling, man. Look, life is all about managing expectations and under-promising and over-delivering, mm-hmm. so I'm happy to hear that the expectations are low. That, that means that I'm succeeding in my thesis sentence. I'm succeeding in, in what, what I want to convey to people. So they go, oh, like average, that's pretty good. Better than I expected. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great way to approach life. I found that for, for 45 years now. <laughs> I would have said 27. Um, all right, so here, just pretty much, I should give I should give a little spiel, right? I mean, for, if you guys could see the rundown, there are a lot of question marks. It's me asking questions to myself of, "How oh, should we do it like this?" Yeah, I guess so. So, a quick spiel on what I want this to be, and it won't be this. Give us, give me some time to find the find the formula. But generally, I want to do one specific big topic, and we're going to dive into it as much as we can, and then a couple secondary, tertiary, uh, fourthiary <laughs> topics. From there on out. So uh, this one might not fit the formula exactly just because of the nature of the topic. We're going to go with off-season transfers, just kind of a big retrospective on that. And then uh, we'll save a little time to talk about who won the off-season, air quote, like a sports radio debate. And then um, ask if Charlotte's going to be okay. And uh, we'll see how long it shakes out after that. Um, All right, Matt. Let's just start with here. Uh, Some of the biggest deals. I'll just throw them out in, in a row. Tiago Almada to Atlanta United for $16 million. Jadon Shakiri to the Chicago Fire for $7.5 million. Alan Velasco to FC Dallas for around $7 million in incentives. Facundo Torres to Orlando City from Peñarol for around $7.5 million plus incentives. Douglas Costa to the LA Galaxy as a loan of a loan slash free agent, <laughs> whatever it is. That's, that's how he's here. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne in the summer. Then, obviously, the intra-league deals, Paul Ariola, Colin Costa, whatever, whatever. Uh, Matt, I guess just first of all, what what is your, you know, of that, like, big bracket of, of the biggest moves of the offseason, I guess, one, what would you call the biggest? And, and what in that group would be your favorite? Uh, it feels to me like the Shakiri one is actually the biggest. Um, and in part that's because of where the fire are as a team and as a franchise, they've missed the playoffs, what, 12 times in 14 years or, or 11 and 13. Yeah. And, and they haven't, they haven't advanced in a playoff series since I think 2000. Yeah. Which is impossible in MLS. Like that should be impossible yeah. in MLS, especially because they've been a team that actually has spent for a good chunk of that. Mm. Um, so, you know, Shakiri is almost like a, a franchise reboot, and he's still in his prime. And he's, like, 
we've seen him be the focal point of teams before, like Stoke. Um, and mm-hmm. it was obviously a different thing playing in the Premier League, and he's playing, you know, as a winger for that team. Um, for Ezra, for the fire, he's going to be playing as a 10. Um, so it, there are some differences, but there's also, like, he, he's, you know, He's had the pressure before for club and for country. Um, he, he's going to a new league where he could play in a new position, but MLS is a lower level. And it just like, it seems to check a lot of boxes for a guy you would want to build around for three or four years with the caveat that like, he just hasn't played a lot since 2017-18. Like, he's, played, he's gone over 1,000 mm-hmm. minutes in a league season once since then. So, like, it all... You know, as many positives are there are, there, there are huge questions about whether he can hold up physically over the course of a full season in MLS. But, like, like Velasco sounds great to me. Um, mm. Torres seems great. I, I There are some obvious red flags with Almada, uh, but I do think he'll be an upgrade over Ezekiel Barco, which is not a particularly high bar, but, like... like yeah, I was, was going to say, you've, you've been banging that drum for a while, and I don't think uh, yeah. hear that, or think it's high, high. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, like, I, the Costa one can end up being super clever, because it's not like he's washed, but I think Shakiri just in terms of what he could, if it works out, what he could end up representing to like a, a really like a moribund franchise um, that has right. kind of the highest upside for me. Yeah. And I mean, I was kind of going back and forth and I'm going to get your thoughts on this too, whether like, I don't know if you were including Insignia in that or not, just given that he joined in the summer as to which of these two moves were the biggest. Like I, I think that as, as I guess a kind of shift in, in Almada coming for, you know, a new league record, like that could be in the conversation, but I do think that there's Shakiri Insignia, break and then it's like the Almada Velasco Torres um area like I was going back and forth whether I thought that Shakiri was indeed the biggest move I, I think of this offseason like it, there are a lot of similarities with with him and Insignia given you know the age the the importance to national a very very respectable national team for the both of them obviously Insignia just won the Euros with, with Italy and and uh, and Shakiri was the captain and I think started most if not all of the World Cup qualifying games and Switzerland's already in the World Cup Italy have to go through a playoff but like, I didn't want my Liverpool fandom to cloud the why I thought Shakiri was the bigger deal. And, like, it's funny to say that because Shakiri probably started, like, 25 games. Like, he, I think he had 70 Liverpool appearances over those three years, and, like, most of them came off the bench. But there's just something. He was a cult hero for that team. Like, he was always – when he went to Bayern Munich from Basel back, like, when he first broke out, Liverpool were in for him. Um, and I don't know if this was their choice or Shakiri chose Bayern, which I would have too. I, I anybody would have at that point. But Liverpool ended up with Lazar Markovic, if that's a name anybody remembers. He's a Serbian, kind of in a similar profile to Shakiri of like a young rising winger. And like I just remember being devastated. I was like, oh, Shakiri would be much better. So like I was thinking about all this that like I don't want my Liverpool fan to color it. But for all the reasons you said, like I think Shakiri is going to be phenomenal in MLS. Like I'm probably not worried as much as I should be about the lack of minutes in recent years. I'm probably not as worried as I should be, I guess, about, you know, how that translates specifically to MLS with the extra travel with playing on turf and, and whatever kind of that goes into the alchemy. But I, I think that there's a real scenario where you just roll him out at 10. Like, he's still super competitive and motivated, and he has to be, or he won't play for Switzerland at the World Cup. And, like, the, he, right. he said that he, talk, he talked to his national team coach about this move, and he just wants him fit and informed. And that's really all he cares about at a league like this. And, like, he, he's not going to start overlooking him like the Italian national team coach did with Giovinco when, when he came here notoriously. So like I think that there's a real scenario to expect a goal every hundred a goal contribution every hundred minutes. So if he plays twenty five hundred minutes, which I think would be a success with what fifteen goals, ten assists, or some combination, 
Like I like that is like a safe expectation in my mind. And again, like I'm probably not giving enough credence to the the injury red flags or, or the lack of playing time red flags or, or maybe stuff like that. But I really think that this is one of those those just could absolutely be a home run out of the park for for MLS. So do you think that Shakiri or Insignia was I guess the bigger of the of this kind of bucket? I mean, I I honestly think it's Shakiri, um, and it's because it get it goes back to what it can mean for for the franchise. Right, like Toronto. I know they were bad last year, but they've mostly been good for the mm. past seven, eight years. Uh, Insignia will be a huge thing in that market, and I think a huge thing in MLS, which is great. And I think he'll be very good. Um, but like Toronto FC is still Toronto FC in that in that market, with or without Insignia. Right. Um, the Fire basically need a reboot. Um, and they got it. They, I mean, they might have the best logo in, in the entire league now, which was a very good reboot after the, <laughs> the disastrous, you know, one previously. And, you know, now they're trying to get it on the field. Obviously, there are stadium issues as well. But, like, mm-hmm. if they get the brand right and you get the player right, then I do th- I think Insignia becomes – or, excuse me, Shakiri becomes the bigger player, the bigger story, uh, and potentially the bigger star in this league. So- the other thing I just want to say, um, like this is coming in concert with a bunch of other moves the Fire mm-hmm. made this offseason and, and really last window when they brought in Fetty Navarra um, that I like as well. So like Shihos seems like a really good, solid veteran center back who can sort of marshal and organize the back line. And, you know, they'll get Jairo Torres. And I know that he's not like kind of a prototype winger, uh, but he should be like a borderline best 11 winger in in this league and and you get all of that happening with actually a pretty solid little core they got a good Mm -hmm. veteran center forward in Shabilko he's not going to win the golden boot but he'll score 12 13 goals if you know he gets that kind of service and like there's look there's reason for optimism in Chicago for the first time since Kalen Carr was there which is a long (laughs) time ago um but I want to I want to make two two other quick points or okay. one point and then ask you a quick question. Whatever you want. The first point or the point I want to make is I am more sure of the goal contribution every hundred minutes for Shakiri than I am of him being able to play twenty five hundred minutes. Yeah. I think yeah. I think all the questions around Shakiri will be like, can, can he just handle the grind? And uh, like, we've seen guys come in and, and absolutely be, be just tanks and, and play right through it. And we've seen guys with great expectations come in um, and, and break down almost immediately and not be able to handle the travel, the different mm. climates, the different altitudes, the different surfaces you play on. Um, and I'm f- fingers crossed for fire fans that Shakiri is, is the former, you know, he, hopefully he'll be right. Roddy Keane. Right, who just like gets here and doesn't care about being an ambassador for the league, loves his club, goes out there and wins. So the and so that's my point. The question I want to ask you is: your job is breaking these breaking these mm. stories, and you broke a, a whole lot of them this <laughs> winter. Did you know going into January that it was going to be like this? Because your job got a lot different this year compared to last you know, last year, two years ago, just in terms of the, the volume, like, mm-hmm. and, and the, 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 the sort of the profile of, of these moves that you're making or the, the yeah, MLS well, teams are making. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I got better. I got, you know, a little bit longer and I guess more relationships developed. So that kind of helped with, with my personal volume. Um, I guess, like, I'll just tackle that specifically with, say, with Shakiri. I knew that in January there was a chance of this happening. But, like, there, there's a long way between chance slash interest and a deal actually getting there. So I was, like, really pleasantly surprised when this, like, how quickly this evolved. Like, I, again, I wasn't sure if it was going to get over the line. I wasn't sure how seriously they were going to get in the door. I figured that Jakiri would, would listen just because of his relationship with, with Georg Heitz, the sporting director in Chicago, um, who he worked with in, in Basel. So, like, part- like, again, specifically with that one, um, that was where, you know, maybe was what it would have been. Like, Douglas Costa, like, I think that one kind of makes sense just given his trajectory. But, again, like, he could have found another team in Brazil or maybe he could have went back to Europe. I'm sure that wasn't it. Like, the volume definitely went up. The outgoing transfers was something I expected. You know, we all – like, those are easier to forecast, right? Because, you know, okay, Ricardo Pérez yeah. is destined to go to Europe at some point. This player is destined to go to Europe. And, okay, this seems like the right time. So those are the easier ones to know about foresee and ask about just because they're here in front of you you just kind of never know which i guess star that you know or, or you know rising star in south america like all right what's real what actually has a chance of happening like there's been i guess light reports about like david louise in, in, in the past like something like it that one seems like it would make sense i've heard that there is some interest there still like who knows again who knows if that's something that will ever get done or would you ever get done but these are things that like it, it's not easy to forecast and things can change in a minute as opposed to the outgoing and just one quick one to wrap up this part of it. Um, if you're an MLS sporting director and you have, like, all things being equal, let's just say, for acquisition costs and, and salary, would you rather Lorenzo Insigne or Jared Onchikiri? <laughs> I, I, I really think it just depends upon the makeup of the team. I, I, I think Insigne is going to make a lot of sense for how Bob Bradley likes his wingers to play. Right, guys right. who can get get on the ball, eliminate players, not necessarily north-south, but eliminate players by dri- dribbling sort of laterally into zone 14. And then, you know, in that sort of pocket where you're you're a triple threat, right? You could you could mm-hmm. swear up and try to beat a guy. And Senior, you know he's going to shoot from 30 yards at least 30 times this year. <laughs> um, or God, that I can't you can, wait. Yeah, right. Same with Shakiri too. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, or like you, you can just try to combine or, or you know, uh, bring the overlapping fullback into play. So I, I think that because Toronto wanted exactly that, then Insignia does make a lot of sense for for Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think for teams that needed a focal point or a number ten, um, like Chicago do did um i think shakiri actually makes more sense so all of it is all of it is okay. conditional so there, there's everybody wins like, is, is the point here well i mean <laughs> we'll see i really weaseled my way out of giving an opinion out of that one i'm proud of myself uh, I, I i that felt like the formula i, I could see the breadcrumbs coming right from that um, yeah one one more uh, before i guess moving moving to another topic not so we don't forget to touch on like again tiago amada alan velasco Pagundo torres and i guess jairo torres now at six million i guess for these like you know, under 22 young DP guys signed for big money, I guess, again, which, which of that bucket of players do you think either is, is a, the best deal or, or B will be the best in MLS? Oh, it, I mean, this is kind of throwing darts blindfolded because yeah, it's, you know, it, like you, you never know how oh. the, yeah, exactly. And there's like the David Goss theorem is very much in play mm-hmm. where it can take a, can take a year um, for some of these guys to hit, but it, based upon what I've seen and, and everything I've heard, 
um, Facundo Torres is is probably the one. Same. Same. Yeah. Right. Like he. Like I know. I know that that front office has has put out some kind of like eye opening uh, <laughs> statements of what they think about him. Um, and, and you know, front offices can tend to do that, but uh, mm-hmm. you know. Like it talked to anybody from South America, and they they're like, I can't, I can't believe he didn't just go straight to Europe. I can't believe right. this kid is going to MLS, which is it's a nice thing to hear. Yeah, I, I was surprised on that too, just in the sense that his age and his profile, like he's twenty one, he's not eighteen, nineteen, and he's proved everything he could prove in South America. Like he's a full Uruguayan international with like ten caps or whatever. He's further ahead than say Brian Rodriguez was when he came here, and I know that you and I were were and probably still have a little too much Brian Rodriguez stock. That, uh-huh. like like I was super into that move and like I thought I still think that he's wildly talented and like there really is a scenario where it's going to come together. Fagundo Torres is ahead of where he is or where he was when he was signed. Like Fagundo Torres at his age, at his experience, again, I am very surprised that he came to MLS. I, when these reports of interest were first coming out in the summer, I was like thinking, why? I, I don't know, like, why wouldn't just, I don't know, a Serie A club match whatever the offer is from Orlando and, and then give him a little bit more money or whatever it is. So like, I remember talking to Orlando GM Luis Muzi about this. Like, he, he said that this was obviously a very complicated deal. There's a, a lot of teams wanted him. There was, you know, stuff when it came to player representation and, and, and everything else with payroll. Like, the, his, like, exact quote uh, in the article was, yeah, like, the deal was dead multiple times. Like, we, we walked away from the table multiple times. Or the other, like, payroll walked away from the table multiple times. So, like, this is something that they were working on for half a year. And he won a title at payroll in his last season. That's what he wanted to do. Like he loves the club, obviously boyhood club, and he, you know, uh, again, and this is Muzi talking. Like again, the front office people can say whatever they want, but I have no reason to to doubt him. That he said that one of the driving forces in Torres signing with Orlando City is that Torres wanted to sign with Orlando City. Like they didn't have to say, okay, we'll triple whatever the offer is from Europe for you to come here for a couple of years. Like it, it was something that he was open to. He loved the proposal. He he wanted to play in MLS, and like obviously he has goals for Europe, but. I think, as you kind of alluded to at the, at the beginning of this, that it, it is, I guess, just a really nice thing to hear, like, kind of where MLS has grown to, that it's not like Fuguno Torres had to get paid, again, triple what something would have come from Europe to even consider MLS. So I think that that is super positive. Um, and that's, again, not to say that Velasco, Amada, or or Jairo Torres won't be successful, but I think my highest expectations are with Fuguno Torres. Yeah, and I think you... you kind of hit the nail on the head there in a lot of ways and one thing to bear in mind if you're listening to this and tom knows this and um but like maybe not everybody does south americans love disney world south americans <laughs> absolutely <laughs> love disney world um and south americans basically like love all of florida but like orlando city in particular can can and obviously in, you know into miami can be like that is a, that is a legitimate recruiting tool for for going anywhere down in in Call Me Bowl. So bear that in mind but, um, <laughs> for getting the likes of Kaká eight years ago and, and Facundo Torres this year. Put it uh, put it on the banner. Thank you, Mickey Mouse, for Facundo right. Torres being exactly. MLS. Um, moving on for uh, there was a very very active market in the intraleague trades and obviously trades like normal, but like the volume I think felt similar, but the fees that came in, um, in in a lot of these trades were a lot more than I, we've seen in the past. I think that there were four or five deals, maybe that could have been like league record-ish that just happened this offseason. Like I remember when Lewis Morgan was the first one that came at, at 1.2 million. 
it seemed like an overpay just because that was the first of all of the moves. And it and then like before you know it, there's Kellen Acosta, Maxine Crepeau, Paul Ariola, um who also Sebastian the Jet, possibly he's not actually gonna be for one point three million in terms of the incentives are um very high in the sky. But there are there were a lot of seven figure interleague trades that Again, like Lewis Morgan was the first one that didn't help set the market, but should have been a harbinger for us to realize, oh, this is where the market's going. Yeah. Um, so, well, I know you just gave the spiel, but so, so then walk me through it. Like, walk me through exactly why the, the numbers have grown so much. Um, yeah. And, and he's like... Paul Ariella was sold for two million two million dollars yep. of gam. Is, is he a, a, a two million dollar player on the international transfer market now? Is he you know is he a three million dollar and like there's a there's a point six to one or point six six to one conversion ratio now? Is that what we're looking at? Um, I'll let you speak more to the conversion ratio, but in terms of the I guess if we would call it inflation, just on on the previous deals, um, it, it's mostly twofold in one that I think that teams looked around and watched what Nashville, uh, Montreal, Colorado, probably first and foremost, finding value uh, in interleague trades and building teams around interleague trades. And, and, you know, what, what Montreal did with Georgie Mihailovic, like a million at the time, it felt like, all right, that's on the higher side. I, I get it. But like, if you're fire, you probably do that. And then like within a year, it's like, Oh my God, like that was a steal. Was a steal. And yeah. then like, I, I don't want to, Take take a hit FC Cincinnati with a stray here, but unfortunately I have to just take out all of FC Cincinnati's trades from their kind of expansion season. The Kendall Watson for eight hundred fifty thousand, the Nick Hagwin for four hundred thousand plus uh, the allocation order slot, which was like a value of eight hundred thousand. Just throw all of them out. If you Fernando, look at all the other Fernando deals, Fernando oh Adi my God, for a yeah. million, for yeah. a million. Jesus, I almost forgot about. It. I knew that there was another one. Throw that out. If you look at all of the trades in in the next couple of years that were from you know what seven hundred fifty thousand to a million. The hit rate is overwhelmingly positive. You have yep. Walker Zimmerman, Mark Anthony Kay. Um, I'm sure that there's I'm, – I'm kind of blanking for the moment, but it was like this is a great investment. Count Acosta, it, it was different in terms of value and whatever they got from. But if you take a big swing on like a young mid-20s MLS proven player, it is worth it almost all the time as long as you have the allocation money. So I think that that's one fold. And two, it comes with there's more allocation money in the market with all the expansion teams that get extra allocation money that they spend like Cincinnati, like Nashville, all these teams that spent a lot of their allocation money or did it in trades and stuff that puts more money in the market. And then with the proliferation of players being transferred from, from MLS to abroad and the game that you can convert some of those transfer fees to like, just look at FC Dallas. Like I remember talking to people in the Paul Ariello trade. I know that Charlotte wanted them really bad. And I was like, okay, they're an expansion team. They have more allocation money than anybody. If they want them, they're going to get them. It's that simple. And then like, I was talking to folks in Dallas like after the deal got done. And I, like, I think I said that line. I was like, I was just surprised that you guys outbid um, Charlotte or that Charlotte didn't come and just keep coming with higher offers. And then like, it was like, well, we have all this allocation money from selling uh, Ricardo Pepe, Tanner Tesson, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, um, and, and whatever else has come from all, the, you know, all these deals and everything else that they had. Like, it's easy to be like, oh, my God, like, how much allocation money were Dallas sitting on that made that like $2 million Probably is an overpay if everything in a vacuum. But if you're Dallas, like that's incredibly worth it because what else are you going to do with all that allocation money? You know? Yeah, and so it it's I agree basically with all of that. What I'll say is that like because of the point you just made about how like what a sure thing these big money 
allocation trades have been like uh, unless you're Cincinnati, these have basically all worked out. Um, two million is not an overpay for, for right. Paul Ariola. Yeah, you know, if he stays healthy, he's going to give you you know sixteen, seventeen goal contributions. He's going to give you elite defense at mm-hmm. that position, um, and, and he's going to play probably right wing, left wing. He could play as sort of a pressing ten at times, so he gives you that flexibility and he gives you leadership. So yeah, like it, I, I like. The, the numbers kind of made my my eyes widen when they happened, but if you if you think about them within context, um, they they make sense. The other thing to think about here now is you have just made this very good point that these these moves tend to work out. Paying for known quantities in MLS, especially guys who are in their prime or approaching their prime, um, works out. What we haven't seen prior to last month is the bigger spending teams in MLS go that route. We've seen, we've seen bigger spending teams in MLS tend to sort of work around the edges um, and yeah. try to add a 14th, 15th man on the roster so that, you know, you could rotate during the, but we haven't seen the bigger spending teams um, sort of fill out the heart of their roster until LAFC. LAFC made eight acquisitions this winter, all eight, came from within MLS. That includes Kellen Acosta, who I think is, like, if they play him as a six, that would be, like, the smartest thing they could do. I'm worried they're going to play him as an eight with Ilya as yeah. a six. But either way, that should provide a, um, a lot of solidity for them. They they gave, what, 400K to get Ishii to, to Jorishadi, yeah. who is just an yeah. ideal Carlos Vela backup. But then the biggest one to me is Maxime Cropo. Mm-hmm. Because for the entirety of LAFC's existence, they have had like below average or worse goal. And last year was much worse than below average goalkeeping. Yeah. Maxime Cropot was one of the three or four best goalkeepers in the league last year. So if this works out, right, if LAFC went from what they were last year, which was 45 points and out of the playoffs to, I don't know, 65 points and top of the West, obviously Carlos Vela being back will play a role in that and mm-hmm. probably most of the headlines. If, if Brian Rodriguez develops, that'll play a role in most of the right. headlines. But, like, MLS GMs will look at it and say, shit, they, they paid a million and a half for Kellen Acosta and a million for Maxime Cropot, and they're 20 points better this year. <laughs> Uh, that, so that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what do you think the driving impetus was behind that? Because uh, I was writing about this the other day that in the past, they were the ones that traded uh, Mark Anthony K. They were the ones who traded Walker Zimmerman. They let Tyler Miller walk in free agency. And now instead of, you know, they could have paid him, they could have made him a, a better contract offer to not let him walk. Now they're paying a million in GAM to get Maxine Crepo. And now after trading K to Colorado, they're kind of replacing him with Kellen Acosta rather than in the past. It was, Janela, Cifuentes, uh, Diego Palacios, Kenneth Vermeer, and insert kind of all these international imports. This year, it was the other way around. They were looking at MLS for these um, acquisitions and for these replacements slash improvements. And why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I, I heard from multiple folks around the league that John Thorington knew that they, they kind of got it wrong. And they skewed too far towards imports and potential and didn't have enough MLS know-how. Uh, on the roster and he wanted to fix that this uh this winter and and he did i mean they, they literally went out and added over a thousand games worth of mls experience hollingshead yeah. has you know 220 kellen's got 220 ilia's got almost 200 i, I think crepo has got about it like and, and on down the list 
Um, so I, I think that was the entire impetus. Like, okay, we, you know, we still have good young players who are on the developmental curve. We need guys who are in their prime and know how to win in this league. Um, and, and now they have, they have that. And so the idea is that this is pretty close to the ideal mix. And on top of that, LAFC are getting to the point now where the first group of academy kids yeah. are expected to, to contribute a little bit. So we might see I, – I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but it feels like LAFC's got a, a lot of upside and there's a lot of potential for us to walk away from the season saying like, oh, man, this is the new model for how you want to be a <laughs> high-spending club in this league. You swing big on your DPs, um, but don't overlook – local talent, you know, that you could either trade for or develop yourself. So I, I think that it's just teams catching up with market inefficiencies. You look what Colorado did, like even that, that first yeah. guy on a cost of trade, it was for Don Baji plus what, a, a draft pick? Like, I think that teams caught on pretty quickly. Again, then you watch, you know, Dax McCarty was 100,000. It was pretty much a salary dump at Chicago or whatever it was. Yep. Even Hannibal Godoy, we thought that was too much at first, 600,000, 650,000. Like that was worth it. Just kind of go through all these. And Walker Zimmerman, everybody was like, all right, he's a really good player, but wow, like that could be 1.3 million in, in total value. And I, I think that we, the, all the rest of the clubs kind of caught up with market inefficiencies. And, and, and like we kind of kicked off this conversation with that, if you trade for somebody in their prime, that's how much proven it is almost always the right thing to do. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So I guess just sticking with this one, a couple more nuggets I had. Sebastian Jet again, look at this. Uh, the move was 500,000. And I think it's or five or 600,000 and up to 1.3 million. Look at this as the base fee and not the um, potential incentives. I don't know if the, some of the people I was talking to were being literal or not, but it was pretty much the way that the Galaxy get all of those incentives is if Sebastian Legette is back-to-back MLS Cup champion, MLS Cup MVP. So just, again, assume <laughs> that whatever, if they get anything extra, that's great, but assume that that, that moves 500000 Uh Jamiro Montero, he got traded from Philly to San Jose. Again, assume that it's for the 250000 plus the uh, international slot. So that would give it, like, what, 500000 value. The the 200000 in incentives or, or about whatever that is, it is contingent on San Jose making the playoffs, which I would I would call a stretch at this juncture. And it would require uh, him, uh, Jamiro, to start a certain amount of games. It's something like two-thirds or three-fourths, uh, something like that. So, again, for, for a couple of those moves, keep that in mind. I don't know what, you know, the incentives are for Franco Escobar or Kellen Acosta. For Acosta, they were told to me that they were more realistic. Uh, but, okay, so just throwing all those nuggets out and circling back around. I guess, Matt, what was your favorite trade or, or best trade, whichever you wanted to find it as? Uh, the Kripo trade. Like, I, I think that if you give it a team with sort of elite underlying numbers from open play and um, you know pretty disastrous uh, numbers in goal um, – and and you, you you give them an elite goalkeeper, yeah. That's, I mean, it's going to be night and day for for LAFC and Net this year. And then Kripo is a you know apparently a, kind of a tough guy to deal with, and um, you know that might pose a problem for uh, for kind of a rookie head coach in, in Steve Torrello. But whatever, like it's like they have talent now on every line. And they didn't have that last year. They didn't mm. really have that ever. And uh, so, like, it, it's unsexy to say, yeah, the goalkeeper, the trade for the goalkeeper was the biggest move of the offseason. But the trade for the goalkeeper was the biggest move of the offseason. 
I think that one has the highest floor just in the sense that you don't need to worry about his fit. You don't need to worry. Like, shot stopping is really easily transportable from club to club. Obviously, it depends on what shots are given up. But, like, you know if you stick him in goal, he's going to be a vast improvement over what they had in the past. Um, I think that, for me, I really love the Paul Ariola deal. Again, I know that it was was a lot, but I think I'm going to parrot the tweet that you had when it was made when you were like, yeah, this feels like a lot, but also – if some if an MLS team spent two million to acquire you know I don't know Ecuador's uh, Ecuadorian international who starts every game and has you know these stats we would all be celebrating it so I think that, that was a that was one that I love and maybe a little bit more lower key one I really like Tristan Blackman going to the Vancouver Whitecaps I think that this is going to be a Kamal Miller esque jump in I guess production slash um, perception in the sense that. I like him as a right back. I like him as a center back. I love him as a right center back in a back three. So I think yeah. that that's going to be a really good move. Yeah, I think that could end up working out really well. Um, that said, it's it's not clear to me that he's won the starting job in, in preseason. I think Jake Norwinski still got that. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, I still think Tristan Blackman has, has national team potential, though, um, mm-hmm. as like a utility guy, like not full-on yeah. starter, but like certainly get a, a handful of caps over the, the next five years. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a high upside. And, like, look, Vancouver is a, a perfect example of what you were saying. They paid 400000 for for Brian White. You know, like, like they, they have done well acquiring talent from within MLS. And, yeah. um, you know, they seem to know exactly what they want out of Tristan Blackman as well. Yeah, and that's what I've heard about Vanny Sartini, too, that he does give freedom, and that helps uh, much more than, I guess, the structure under Marco Santos. But there was... There is like a clear philosophy. There is a clear, um, this is what we want from you in every position. So he found, he's found the balance of play free and don't worry about mistakes, but also, you know, what's expected of you. And it's easier for you to, I guess, succeed in those roles. Uh, moving on, just, I think we're running out like 35 minutes now. One more here before it's a quick secondary topics, but I'm going to skip over free agents because this would just be eight minutes of me and you saying, yeah, Albert Rusnak to Seattle was a really good deal. Yeah, Sean Davis and Nashville was a really good deal. And I don't, I don't <laughs> see that there's much value in that. I think we all know that. Uh, Matt, so there, there were obviously a, a, a lot, a lot of transfers this offseason. We talked about all the big ones. So uh, I guess free reign here to go with, I guess, some of your favorite ones or, or I guess undervalued ones that came. They could be DPs like Mikhail Uhr and Julian Carranza with Philly, or they could be you know, non-DPs, U22 initiative, you know, anywhere from, you know, just don't say Alan Velasco. I, I won't say Alan Velasco. Um, it's not fair. For, for $7 million, I want to point that out. I wasn't – I think that's a good deal. But I'm, I'm yeah. saying the, uh, the lower tier or the lower key signing. It, it, it's Carranza. It, it's it's absolutely Carranza. Stealing um, it, man. Yeah. It's, it's just, I figured well, it was going to be like this when I was listening to ETR and, and you were singing his praises for a while. I was like, oh, man, so, like that. I, thought, I thought I had that hill. You got there first. I, I love it because it's a different kind of it's a different kind of move, right? Like like we have not really seen a DP loaned with an op with a purchase option in MLS before. And obviously, this came out of Miami's unique circumstances. Um, <laughs> but and like credit to to Ernst Tanner and, and the union for for being there, you know, being able to to see the value in this and put this together because like. Carranza was sold for what seven million dollars a couple of years ago. Six million. Six million a couple of years ago. He, he was, you know, Argentine youth international. He scored, yeah. you know, a bunch of goals in his in his teens as uh, in the the Argentine Primera. Like this is not the type of talent that the Union have been able to go out on the market and buy for themselves. 
So it's a, it's a it's very much a, a distressed asset play. It is very like it's within the the scope of what they've done. Uh, you know, getting guys who were sort of undervalued in other leagues, or very similar to you know Colorado, how they've gone after mm-hmm. in sort of rehabilitated distressed assets. It's just it's a DP and, and it's a potential goal scorer, and by all accounts. He's been fa- absolutely fantastic in preseason, um, yes. and we'll probably see him starting uh, this weekend. Definitely going to see him starting with Mikhail Uhr still not in town or, or still working through visa issues, which is like I could go off on a tangent on that. Like I, I, I don't know exactly how all of that works, but I just think that it's super, super unfortunate for some of these teams. Like they signed Mikhail Uhr about three, four weeks ago, and he's still not here. Like that's brutal. Somebody like Brenner, who was already in the league, missed most of preseason working through visa issues. Like that's just brutal for these players, but. Um, on, on the Carranza one, yeah, I, I love this. I, I think that he fits perfectly in that his best traits were are like his he's elite defensively is what I was told. There's a metric yeah. defensively stand out. And this is a center forward who is playing left wing in, or wherever on the wing for Miami in a team that had two players, quite frankly, who don't defend in Rodolfo Pizarro <laughs> and Gonzalo Guin. They weren't pressing. So they, they bought a player without a real plan and without a real fit with the other players around the team the same way that, you know, again, like some of these individual deals – you know, don't look great in hindsight, but there clearly wasn't a tactical or, or philosophical plan. And Julian Carranza, like, I don't think that we should hold that against him. It's not his fault that his best trait is is pressing and his best position is center forward. And he got to do neither of those things when it, when it, when it was in Miami. So I think that this is just a really smart flyer from Philly. Worst case scenario, you just take him on loan. It doesn't work out and, and you go back and, and there's no there's no sunk cost or anything. But, like, I think by all accounts, like you said, he's been phenomenal, like, in training and preseason – I talked to people at the club. They were like, look, this, like, you guys have, you know, we, we've done some good deals, Casper Shabilko, Kai Wagner, Jose Martinez, in terms of value. Like, this might be it. If he's as good as we think he is, like, this might be the best. <laughs> this might take the game. Again, it's a $6 million player that they got on loan for, for nothing. And, and it would just absolutely kill Miami <laughs> fans, right? Because, like, yep, yep. They, they had this guy for two years and they basically never put him in a position to succeed. <laughs> if he goes to to Philadelphia and he tears it up, 15 goals, you know, whatever defensive metrics you want to, you know, count on, if he goes and does that... 15 goals, yeah, just, just, just that off the bat. Right. Then, it, like, there is a... There, in this deal, there is a... There is an absolute ironclad Philadelphia get him for this price, no matter yep. how good he, he could score 35 goals and Philadelphia <laughs> get him for the already agreed upon price. It would just like Miami fans yep. got a really bad hand these past two years. If you add that on top of it, oof, I would, I would feel for them. And here's the thing. Like, I don't think 35 goals is in play. 15 is 15 goals is in play yeah, for this. Really is. And it would be just absolutely brutal for that inter fan base. Completely agree. Um, uh, not to stick with Philly, I like the Mikhail Uhr uh, deal just because of his pedigree. Slash, again, I'm just giving that into the doubts so of the Philadelphia front office uh, and scouting department and head coaching t- and coaching staff until further notice. So, it, when if they're setting a new club record to sign a player who, who was really really good at Bronby, where Hani Mukhtar was really really good at Bronby, there's just enough there that I'm just blind faith in the Mikhail Uhr move. I, I really like Johan Valencia. Uh, just. Yep. his profile of what they need in Austin. I, I know you've written and talked about this a bunch. They desperately needed a destroying six, and I think that's going to be super useful for them. And I also think I haven't talked enough about Sebastian Ferreira and Houston Dynamo. I'm worried about chance creation for him, but looking at his numbers with Libertad, uh, Libertad uh, in Paraguay, it was more than a goal game, I believe. And in Liga MX, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was something very strong where it was, you know, 
two goals every three games, three games every four, uh, three goals every four games, whatever it was, it was a rate that usually translates very, very well to MLS. And I personally have not talked enough about that. I think that was a really good signing by Houston. Yeah, I mean, it it, it looks like it on, on on paper, right? And he, I think he's got a couple goals in preseason. But the look, my worry is that he's not. It's not dropping a good forward into a, a team that had 45 points last year. Right. It, this is a team that had 30 points last year. And they didn't really, you know, turn over much of the roster. So it's, like you said at the top, like, I, I worry about chance creation there. Yeah. Moving on, uh, I guess, really quickly. So I think we've talked at length about the deals. Um, offseason winner, maybe. Tom Bogart. Tom, Tom Bogart. <laughs> Absolutely. Breaking deals. Left and right, uh, I mean, you went from what, like six thousand followers to twenty thousand. <laughs> what were you at? Where were you at at the start of the year? I don't know it per se, but I guess Twitter tracks these things. I think it's like six thousand over the last three months or whatever. I feel gross even saying that out loud, but wow. But yeah, so it's been. And if the, the how quickly you answer that makes it sound like I was teeing you up, like I wrote it down in bold and underlined it on the rundown, like say this, like with a, holding you at night point or something. Okay, mm-hmm. but in reality, who's your ML, MLS team that won the offseason? My MLS team? I, I don't pay attention to that. I pay attention to what Tommy Scoops is saying, man. <laughs> I honestly think I honestly think you need a, you need a tagline like you, like your buddy Fab. You know how he, he tweets out like, "Here yeah. we go." Dude, yeah. like we move has been open now for <laughs> over a year. You've been since pitching the Charlie, that for a year <laughs> since the Charlie Kevin thing happened. We move is is right there. I don't want to be associated with that. I think I'm good. I'll give a serious answer if you're not. I say Chicago Fire for all the reasons we discussed. Okay, I mean potentially yes, though also potentially this winter could end up being devastating for them if Shakiri doesn't work out, if Shehos doesn't work out, um, if Shabilko is scores eight goals next year in, instead of twelve and or thirteen, for a new contract again. Yeah, that, then I mean they they had the type of off season um, that I think they needed to have. I actually like a lot of what Dallas did. Look, I like I like Ricardo Pepe a lot. Um, twenty million dollars seemed like an overpay. It seemed like an overpay for for Ricardo Pepe to me. Um, so I think they 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 absolutely maximized what they could get out of him. They then they turned around and they made, I think, a, a smart decision to to make Jesus Ferreira a DP. Yep. They made a smart decision to to pay two million dollars for Paul Ariola, and then in you know Velasco is um. The, the the effusive praise that we were talking about the Facundo Torres signing getting, I, I would say Velasco signing generated about like ninety to ninety five percent of that as well. Yeah. So like that seems like a a really good signing too. Uh, I still have questions about Dallas. Like I I, I don't love what they have at defensive midfield. Um, I'm no. worried that the uh, that the back line is not going to rebound from last year. But, like, I think they made a record sale and then they mostly spent the money well and put themselves in a position where they, uh, if things aren't working out, where they're just, like, one move away from getting back to being, like, a 55, 60-point team um, if they can, you know, find the right D-mid this summer. So Dallas had a really good offseason as well. Right. They do still have two U-22 initiative slots open. Uh, The Ecuadorian center back that reported 
that they're in talks to sign. I assume that's going to be U22 initiative, but I don't know that for sure. That would still leave them with one U22 initiative slot if they wanted to, you know, use that for DM. If uh, Faku Kinyon isn't it, and if Edwin Sirio, um, you know, could use, I guess, either improvement or, or more competition. Last one, um, and actually last bit uh, with, with Chicago. Yeah, it could be bad. Um, and as I love to say, hope is the most dangerous thing you can give a man. So uh, be <laughs> careful in Chicago, but just believe as, probably as far as I go. Last one before we get out of here. Um, I've, I've noticed the narrative around Charlotte FC shifted really hard, and it came with Darren Machis falling through. Um, a lot of people, I think, took that around that. It was not necessarily one-upping each other, or maybe they were holding on to these thoughts and worries, and that was enough to push them over the top to say, I'm worried about Charlotte being FC Cincinnati, Minnesota United, in terms of historically bad for an expansion season. For me, I'm not quite there yet. I, I, I didn't love them as the playoffs even before that fell through, but I don't know. What, what do you think? Are Charlotte going to be okay? Well, all right. So let's, we need to reframe that. It wasn't Darwin Machis' deal go, falling through. It was, it, was the a, coach, it was the last drop in the bucket. It was the coach coming out and saying, if you look at our roster right now, we're okay. screwed. Like that okay. is what like, – it's, it's literally like one of the greatest quotes that an MLS coach has – ever given and when the coach comes out and says that that people take notice of people adjust their expectations according i certainly That's a good point um two you, you did a disservice to minnesota united in in lumping them in with fc cincinnati Fair for that for their expansion minnesota united their expansion year they were bad they had a league record bad defense but they had okay, 30, yeah. 35 points like thirty five right, points. Back. You're right. Good correction. Isn't isn't terrible. So I think that I take that back. Yeah. You know, I still think that that Charlotte FC, and I will always loathe them for not making their team name Charlottetown, which was the original <laughs> name of Charlotte. And if you want to do a Euro snob name, just call yourself Charlottetown. Um, at least it has a little bit of originality in MLS. But I. I still think that they fall somewhere on the Austin to Minnesota United spectrum. They are okay. going to be a non-playoff team. They are probably going to be bad defensively based upon um, what we saw in preseason. Like I, I'm not sure that other than Anton walks, I'm not sure any of the defenders they have on their roster can run, um, which is not great. Uh, their attack Seems is obviously, important. yes. And their attack is obviously, uh, very much a, a work in progress. There are a lot of worries, but also like they, they have some midfield pieces that should work in this league. You know, they, yeah. they have some, you know, I don't know. They have a, at least an Anton walks, a guy who was really quite good last year. I thought they have a Jalen Lindsay, um, you know, and Joseph Mora. They have a couple of fullbacks who I, I think are, can be league average fullbacks. So I don't see this as, an FC Cincinnati type, you know, we, we're going to have to tear it down after year one, and then we're going to have to tear that down after year <laughs> two, and then we're going to have to tear that down. Like, I don't think that's what's coming for Charlotte. I, I think it'll be much more like what Austin was last year, where it was like, ooh, we overestimated these guys, and we underestimated these guys, and we really should have right. we really should have invested more in the attack before the season started. And it's if you're a Charlotte fan, you're probably bummed at that. But at the same time, like Austin made some good moves in the middle of last year. And I think Charlotte will have 
the chance to do the yes. same here. So I, I think, you know, over under on points is probably like 30, 30, you know, mm-hmm. we'll say 29 and a half. And I think, you know, me setting the line right there tells you what I think of them. Right. Be a, ba- a bad team, but not historically so. Okay. Well, maybe that's us splitting hairs. And I thought that was going to be more of an interesting back and forth because I thought that you were of the, you know, FC Cincinnati expansion in your mold. So uh, I thought we were going to have a disagreement there, but I, I, I agree with mo- almost exactly all of what you said. Maybe I'm a little bit more bullish on them just because, like, they could agree a deal for a $6 million winger next week or theoretically whenever. And I think that that really raises their ceiling. Like, I think Carol Swiderski, look, he's a Polish international. Who knows how quickly he'll get into, uh, how quickly he'll kind of find his feet in MLS. Who knows what the chance creation is going to look like, how long it takes this team to get into uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez's game model, which he was boasting and, and the team, the, the club were boasting about how complex and, and progressive and, and cool it was uh, when he was signed. And that sounds better, I think, in theory than when you you wrote that it seems like they're trotting out 5-4-1 in preseason because things aren't, you know, quite lined up as, as where you want to optimize things. So we'll, we'll see, again, how long all that takes. But, again, I really like that midfield trio. Um, I had heard good things about Guzman Carujo. Uh, that you kind of poured a little water on there in terms if you were lumping him in with, with the defenders who can't run. But I don't know. And and all of the talks that I've – since the first time I interviewed Doran Cornetta, the sporting director, before they had a player on the roster, he he was saying flexibility is something that we're going to crave. Like they, they watched what Nashville did, what Austin did in terms of not filling out all their DPs, all their U22 initiative slots or whatever in that first offseason. He always says we're not building this team for week one. We're building it for, you know, the year, then the years after that in the future. So I think that was a good point in the sense of I don't think that they're going to have to tear down the rebuild and tear down the teardown um, like that. And I guess maybe that's also um, optimism in terms of looking at this. But, like, they will hold a DP spot open for the summer. Um, and I guess we'll just see what this team looks like in, in a few months. Yeah, I got okay. nothing to add to that. Yeah, nothing to add to that. All right, so I think um, I promised 30 to 45 minutes of your time. That's 50 minutes. So uh, 0 for 1 on, on the timing expectations, and let's see if I can get better at transitioning to an outro like this rather than just clunkily saying the word transition. Um, Matthew, I appreciate you very much <laughs> coming on, giving me your, your very busy time. I appreciate all the folks here who came in and listened, and I, 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 can't imagine that, I can't imagine that there are a lot better ways to spend a Wednesday afternoon. It's very sunny and 60 degrees in New Jersey here, so I'm going to hang up and go outside and make reality the uh poly walnuts gift of him sitting outside of tachialis and in, in sopranos and and just enjoy a little sun thanks again matt thanks everybody for listening take care everybody selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.